0: Pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to hear your word that you've spoken to us, in this case through the Apostle Paul, inspired by your spirit, enable me to preach it faithfully. Lord, we pray that you might help us to respond rightly, taking to heart what we read. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and responses of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I wonder what your attitude to life and death is maybe life for you at the moment is hard it's such a slog and you're just focused on surviving and you don't think much about death or the future maybe you feel depressed and you've lost all hope and you want to die or maybe life feels pointless, pointless purposeless monotonous, and you have no hope for this life or the next. Maybe you're scared of dying because you're not sure God would welcome you into his heaven. Maybe life for you now is all good and you don't think much about heaven or death. Or maybe you know heaven being with the Lord is the best thing ever and you can't wait to go. What's your attitude to your life now and to your coming death? God's word to us today speaks to both of these realities. Our passage last week finished in verse 20 with Paul saying he wanted to, he wanted Christ to be honored and magnified whether through his life or his death. And now he considers these two alternatives. The key summary is in verse 2, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we'll be exploring what that means and how it relates to us today. My first point is, to die is gain. The Greek word for gain speaks of an advantage or what is better. Why, though, is dying better? Because verse 23 says, to depart this life means to go and be with Christ. Mind you, that is only better for the Christian for the person who's trusted Jesus in this life and has forgiveness of sins. Because for the non-believer, when they depart from this life, they will be separated from God and from everything good, completely and permanently, experiencing only death and a taste of judgment according to Luke 16. They'll be then awaiting the final judgment, the, lake of fire that Revelation 20, verse 14 speaks of. And that's horrible. It's, it's awful. It's terrifying. People need saving from it. Jesus saves us from it. And compared to that, to be with him, it's, it is way better It's way better than than this life. It's immeasurably better than hell. When we put our trust in Jesus, he stays with us always. He stays with us always by by his spirit. And Paul says, doesn't he, that it's far better. It's far, far better. It's so much better, really, that we can even comprehend or imagine. And Paul longs for this. We don't know that much about what it will be like to be with the Lord in heaven. We will still await our resurrection bodies that we will receive at the second coming of Jesus when we are then brought with him into the new creation. But for us now, death brings believers' souls into God's joyful presence. No more suffering or sin or grief, fear, Loss, loneliness will be wonderfully with the Lord. And what's most important about heaven is not the uh, new creation, it's not the streets of gold or the pearly gates. The greatest gain in heaven is not even being reunited with loved ones. The greatest thing will be standing before Christ and seeing Him as He is. The glory of heaven you see is found in Christ him, Jesus Christ himself. Death will bring Paul, death will bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what greater gain can there be than this? And so if you've trusted in Jesus to save you, you can face your death with certain hope and triumphant assurance. 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 A woman at my last church, Angie, was only in her early 50s and her body got eaten away by cancer. Her treatment failed. Her weakness grew. But her faith was strong. Her hope was sure. Angie knew where she was going. And she looked forward to going to be with the Lord. And she died in pain, but in peace. And with joyful hope. And it was a great encouragement to me, to her family, the children she left behind, my friends, to our church family. To die in the Lord is is gain. Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you need to get right with God now? Or do you need to think differently about the future? Because for the believer to die and be with the Lord, it is far better. So brothers and sisters, look forward to that. But the Lord doesn't want us to rush there. And I know waiting can be hard. And maybe you actually need to think differently about your life and what matters now. Next point is to live is Christ and it's worth it. When Paul says to live is Christ, he means it's a chance to serve Christ in his strength, for his glory. And to live on in the flesh, the body, he says, means fruitful work. So it's worth it. And in verses 22 to 25, Paul describes this genuine dilemma. And he feels really torn between this win-win situation. He's arrested, he's in prison awaiting trial, a possible execution, and death is staring him in the face. And he said he's not fearful of that. He looks forward to death because to, it means being with Christ. And yet, to live means ongoing opportunities for fruitful work, for Paul, that was evangelism and teaching and discipling and he wanted to help people be saved and to grow as Christians. Just like that's what we want to focus on at Bundy here. Living meant fruitful work for Paul. Living means fruitful work for us. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, which teaches us that we're not saved by our works, our good works, but by grace we're saved and to do good works. That's the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. That's sort of what Paul is talking about here in Philippians 1 verse 24 about wanting to stay alive because it's more necessary for for your sake, he says. He's confident and persuaded that it's more important for him to go on living to continue with the Philippians for their progress and their joy in the faith. Can you see here that that Christ is the passionate pursuit of Paul's life? And can you see that his his love for the Philippians here, his desire to seek their good, even when it's costly. His life is hard, he's in prison, chained, and he wants to keep, going so he can serve Christ by serving others. He denies himself for the good of others. And that's a choice all of us face every day. Me or others. Me first or others first. I see our society here in Australia and Melbourne becoming more and more me-centred. And the world should revolve around me, people think. Isn't that why road rage is increasing? I mean, how dare you cut me off? How dare you go slow in front? How dare you take 1.3 seconds to take off at the lights? Because I'm at the center of the universe. I matter more than anyone, so get out of my way. Who is at the center of your life? Your universe? Is it you or is it Christ? Who's determining your choices and your responses, your priorities, your actions? It's not always Christ for me. And when we suffer, it's easy to be fearful and focus inward. And if life is just good for you at the moment, I ask, are you using your health and your strength to serve others or yourself? Paul wants to serve the Philippians so they can boast in Christ, verse 26. That is, give glory and praise to Jesus Christ. That matters to Paul. I don't think it always matters that much to us. So maybe you're rebuked or corrected by this. If you are, please, if you're convicted of your selfishness, please remember that with Christ's faith in him, there really is forgiveness. Full and forever forgiveness. That's what we'll remember in the supper soon. And as forgiven people, serve the saviour shift your focus to others I just read an article this week about how Mother's Day can be hard for single mums and this mum called Ruth writes that for most breakfasts will still be made by me the presents will have been organised and paid for by me lunch will have have been organised and paid for by me and after lunch it's back to laundry and housekeeping But Ruth now shares of this wonderful friend who takes her kids shopping for their mum's presents. Or of the other friend who makes her breakfast on Father's Day. And she says when when a family invites a single mum and her kids over for a meal at any time, or I might add if you invite a single person to your home to join you, she says it will make her feel seen And remind her of the heavenly family where God has planted her. Even if she doesn't come, being invited will be a big deal for her. We could bring them flowers. We could pray for or with them. She says to let them know they're doing a great job. Maybe that gives you some ideas, some encouragements, maybe even for next weekend. Point 2B is life. I missed that slide. Life for the Christian means means living for the gospel. Verse 27 has the only command in our passage. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The original Greek reads, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. So the question is, what citizenship is Paul speaking of? Because heaven's not actually mentioned. Now Philippi used to, or Philippi was, uh, uh, unique as a Roman colony. Most people there were Roman citizens and the city had a strong Roman identity which brought with it a pagan culture and emperor worship and, and we'll come back to that. The Philippians therefore know about citizenship but Paul wants to remind them of their citizenship in heaven or their citizenship in the, the kingdom of Christ. If Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, then they needed to live to obey and serve King Jesus first. Living worthy of the gospel. Living worthy of the gospel doesn't mean that you and I are worthy or that we need to try harder to be worthy of salvation. No, we're not worthy, but Jesus, Jesus was... Jesus is. And we live for the glory of his worth. He saved us and so we live for him in response. So can you see that what we're commanded to do here, it's not grinding, begrudging obedience. It's not doing just enough to avoid the guilt or to think, yeah, I'll pass. Living worthy of the gospel is doing all for the glory of Christ because he's worth it. Why? He's worth it because of the gospel. That good news about Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again and saves. He sacrificed himself to obtain our salvation. If you look at verse 28, it tells us what we've been saved from. Destruction. Eternal death. To experience instead salvation, that's eternal life. And Paul says, this is from God. God achieved it. He deserves the credit. We don't. That's the gospel. Millions of people around the world got to hear last night at the king's coronation that eternal life comes in and through Jesus Christ. Oh, that they would believe it and not see that truth as some irrelevant, outdated religion or tradition. What does it look like to live lives worthy of the gospel? It is an all-encompassing gratitude that obeys and glorifies God. That's what it results in us, obeying and glorifying God. For the Philippians then living lives worthy of the gospel means in verse 27, standing firm in one spirit, in one accord or mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. They share in the one Holy Spirit. They are to be united in their mind, their thinking, their heart, and their, their soul, soul and mind. It's literally the word for soul, mind. They're to be united in their thinking and their purpose. They're to be striving together for the truth of the gospel, even when others make that hard. And that should be the case in every church. It should be the case in our church. And that word contending is a word that actually describes the actions of wrestlers or gladiators in an arena. And this striving together, when I thought about that, this scene came to mind from the movie Gladiator with Actor Russell Crowe Maximus leading a band of prisoners to resist a chariot attack by working together. Or maybe you could picture this, striving together like this. Three-legged race, partners striving together, bound together. I'm sorry, I didn't have a picture from our church picnic. I forgot to ask Andy. But you see this unified minds, actions, purpose, particularly in the face of opposition to the gospel, in the face of false teaching. When faced with the temptation to divide from one another, God asks for gospel unity. We too need to keep believing and caring about the truth of the gospel. Maybe you've joined us at Bundy. Maybe you come regularly. Maybe you're here because you consent to the truth that's taught here. But I ask do you contend with us? Do you cooperate with us? Are you just a passenger? If you have kids, do you care about the truth that's taught in Sunday school or a youth group? Do you ask them? Do you ask the, the youth leaders? Do you ask questions? Could you teach there yourself? If you're in a growth group, do you speak up, ask questions, engage in what you're discussing in your growth group? Are you serving with us here as we seek to make disciples? Let's keep striving together with our different gifts, the same goal. And it's even harder to stay united when we face Opposition and suffering. Point 2C, suffering for Christ. Living for Christ means also suffering for him. The Philippians were to keep believing and living in response to the gospel, not being frightened of their opponents, verse 28. As with all in the Roman Empire, Philippi was a place of pagan idol worship. As I mentioned, being a Roman Colony, emperor worship would also have been a part of life, an expectation for people. We cannot be certain. We're not told, but it's quite possible that the Philippian Christians could have lost jobs, lost business, or received trouble from the Gentile authorities for not worshipping Caesar. We'll also see in chapter 3 that there are Jewish opponents. They pushed circumcision for Gentile believers as the path to full fellowship with God and his people. That was a lie and distortion of the gospel. And Paul himself had suffered at the hands of both Jewish and Gentile authorities for speaking the gospel. He's in prison for it. And he says in verse 30 that the Philippians are in the same struggle. And that word struggle describes something that can be agony. Agony. The Philippians suffered for the gospel, whether it was a loss of respect from others, a loss of work or income or freedom, loss of family members who get in prison, loss of property. We don't know specifics. But notice what verse 29 says. It has been granted to you, not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. This is saying that God has given them saving faith in Jesus Christ for the glory of God, the glory of Christ, and God has given them the privilege of suffering for Jesus too. Both salvation and suffering for Jesus are gifts from God. And I don't think we see it like that or we don't want to. But that's what we're told here. God's in charge of our our salvation and our suffering, which happens for our good and and for the good of others. So we don't need to fear. And wasn't it our Lord Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, you are blessed when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. As we've said before, Christianity is viewed as the bad guy in our country. Now, Christianity really is no longer an option, it's the problem. Many suggest that we're on the wrong side of history the wrong side of so many moral issues. And being on the wrong side, it's tiring. It can be demoralizing. But Jesus taught us how to live as one of the bad guys. He predicted it. He experienced it. He's with us in it. And so when you are teased at school, For speaking up for Christ or standing for Him, you are blessed. When you speak respectfully the truth of God online and you cop all sorts of offensive responses or even threats, you are blessed. And if that day comes that you give up your job or you lose your job because you will not compromise your Christian convictions, your faithfulness to Jesus, remember, you live for Christ. It's worth it. You don't need to fear. And if the day comes that you or I go to prison for preaching the gospel, we don't need to fear. The Lord has that situation. He has us in his hands. We're safe in his purposes. Rather, suffering for Christ, it's an opportunity to glorify him. There is a price to pay for following Jesus, and it's worth it. It's worth it. In 2017... This Tasmanian Prezi pastor, Campbell Markham, was brought before the Tasmanian Human Rights Commission for comments made on his blog about biblical marriage. Another man, David Gee, was also brought to the commission for his comments made while street preaching. Speaking to the Hobart Coalition for Marriage, Campbell Markham said, "'We will never be cowed into silence by persecution.'" We will respond to personal attacks with unshakable joy, confidence, and peace. There has never been a better time to be a Christian. I speak from personal experience. We were summoned to explain ourselves before the state's anti-discrimination commissioner. And this tiny bit of pressure, this tiny bit of pressure... I don't even begin to compare it to what our brothers and sisters around the world face on a daily basis, has brought our church community much closer together. And it has given us opportunities to speak about Jesus. Having been threatened with prosecution and jail, we now get to tell our nation about our saviour Jesus Christ and that is worth a thousand persecutions. He says, God's people, seize this moment. Do not fear. Pray and tell people about Jesus with courage and passion and compassion. And when you are oppressed, your peace and joy, let it be seen. Let Jesus in us be seen. But as he said, some believers suffer so much worse. This is a picture from a Pakistani boy 10 years ago. At the moment, six Libyans face the death penalty for converting from Islam to Christianity. So many countries around the world where believers' lives are in peril, where they're killed for Christ. On the 11th of April this year, residents in a Christian majority village in Karen State, Myanmar, Burma, were attacked. A month ago, the Myanmar military bombed the church, literally. They occupied the town and they burnt down the 12 houses that remained, leaving many homeless, flee for their lives, flee to the jungle. In early April, other Christians were killed by the Myanmar military. My brother has actually gone there to try and help those fleeing. For many believers, God has granted that they not only believe in him, but they suffer for him, suffer greatly for him. We should pray for and support them as we're able. Please pray for their encouragement, God's provision for them, and to faithfully witness to Christ's salvation of their persecutors. Pray that they would believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain. No one is ready to live until they're ready to die. You must know that the end of your life is certain before you will fully risk danger. The end of your life must be secure before your presence can be stable. It is only when you know that death will usher you into the presence of God that you will live a life of fearless faith This is precisely where Paul found himself. Death squarely staring him in the eyes. And yet he's living with this unwavering passion for the gospel. And Paul wrote to the Philippians to encourage them to do the same. Please see that God today here writes through Paul to encourage us with a hope that gives us confidence to live each day for the fullest, not for ourselves, but for others and for the glory of Christ. So I ask, are you ready to die? Don't leave your life, don't leave your life in such a way that you will regret The life that you could have lived or should have lived if only you'd lived it wholeheartedly for Jesus. Don't live your life so that you'll live it with regrets. Live it for Christ. He's worth it. He's worth it. Let's pray. Father God, please forgive us for our selfishness and sin. May we flee to Jesus in faith. And Father, we pray that you might blow us away with a greater vision and uh, that you would capture our hearts with the glory of Christ, that we would want to live our lives for him. And remember that actually for those of us who know and follow Jesus, dying means going to be with him. So please grow our hope, our assurance. And help us to not waste our lives. We ask this, Father, pleading for your help. And in the name of your Son, Amen.